filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster As you all know, I have a baby daughter, and baby daughters get fussy from time to time, or more than from time to time, uh, as everyone knows. Um, And during the DC United Houston game, she was being especially fussy. Uh, My wife was off doing uh, fun things, so I I, I was happy and willing to take care of the baby for the evening, and... She was just very fussy during the game. So I had the game uh, itself on mute and I was playing music and I was singing to the baby to keep her calm. And she was enjoying me singing. I'm not a good singer by any stretch of the imagination, but she enjoyed it because she's a baby and doesn't know any better. Um, And uh, the Elliott Smith song King's Crossing came up uh, during the uh, early part of the first half. And I was singing her, singing to her the line, I can't prepare for death any more than I already have. And that's when the first Houston goal went in. So <laughs> the universe, the spirits, Elliot Smith from beyond the grave has just decided to uh, make a metaphor that would be far too obvious and cut out of any TV show, uh, but make it happen for DC United in this 2017 season. I have friends who... who- have constantly said anytime something happens in um, current events in public affairs in particularly in the realm of American politics, that the late, the, the writers of 2017 are getting really lazy and there needs to be a, a change in the writer's room. Right. And, and I think it, if some of those writers from 2017 news have been exercised from the, that writer's room, they've somehow made it into DC United's. Uh, yeah. And it's 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 bad. And I, I think with that, gentlemen, it's it's time to raise a glass. <sighs> you know this tradition. I know this tradition. I hate this tradition more than anyone. And here we are. Um, are we going to explain what we have or do that? Uh, I, I, I have vodka. It's a decent vodka. Rain uh, organic from... Be, I mean, it's room vodka. temperature. Don't worry. Uh, I don't have bad vodka yeah, in my house. Say, Adam, have you run into the problem of just not having anything bad enough to, to do this? I mean, now that I've gotten over my, my hatred of rum and only have Cotton and Reed rum in the house. Um, yeah, actually, kind of. <laughs> um, but I do have vodka. And, you know, straight shots of vodka is what started the tradition. This is Rain Organic from Franklin or from Frankfort, Kentucky. Okay. Made by uh, the, the nice folks at Buffalo Trace. It's a... Yeah, it's it's a decent vodka, but it's it's still vodka, and that is what I am doing. Jason, uh, longtime listeners probably remember that I have a small pocket bottle of mystery whiskey uh, from an incident years you ago. Still have that? Why why else would I drink it? <laughs> um, it bad. So it's it's a mix of 
there was probably it, it originally was a bottle of Canadian Club um, because I the chances of me getting caught with it and, and being told to throw it away were high, so I bought the cheapest whiskey available uh, in pocket size. Um, so there's a Don't little buy bit Canadian of, whiskey, friends. Just as a as an aside, it, they're allowed to dilute it at, with basically vodka, so it's not actually whiskey. You're missing the point of this, which was to get drunk and not pay attention. No, to I know, the I know. I, I'm doing an aside to our hey guys. Friends guys I'm still care. holding my glass in the air. Can we please Me get too. on with this? I'm Me trying. Too. I'm trying to finish. Um, so it's a mix of Canadian Club. Uh, a friend of mine at the baseball game that I snuck this into was given. A empty Coke bottle, a mini Coke bottle with Jack Daniels in it by a vendor. And this is a female friend, so it's suspicious that this man is giving her free booze out of the blue without... This isn't, like, a buddy of hers or anything. So Um, that's why she gave it to you? She gave it to me and was like, I'm not sure about this. And I was like, well, I'll take it with me and I don't know what'll happen. Um, And probably something else. There's probably some, like extra, like, half shot of something that I dumped in here at some point over the years. So I'm drinking the Mystery Whiskey, which I did find out at some point. It, there were no drugs in that uh, Jack Daniels that my friend was given, uh, because I we've done this before, um, right. and I was not roofied or anything by myself. <laughs> so it was clean. It was just creepy. Um, but yeah, I've got my Mystery Whiskey. Ben? So I put a poll out on uh, the Twitter box, and I'm, I'm listening to the people. The people told me to drink warm gin, so I'm going to have a shot of warm gin. And not good gin. It's just Seagram's. So it's <laughs> good. All right, gentlemen. We cannot prepare for death any more than we already have. Salute. Amen. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's mysterious. <laughs> not a vodka person. I'm really not. Well, warm vodka, I mean, that's a taste you would have to acquire, I feel like. Yeah. And so help me, I do not want to acquire it. No, no don't. No, I don't, want to, I don't want to acquire a taste for warm gin. No, I'm just brushing my tongue to try and get it away. DC United, I'm stop actually, doing this to us, please. I'm actually chasing my warm gin with a PBR. There you go, drinking two things. If you've just done a second, shot that of was the second place uh, option, PBR, you know, is swill, but it's not a punishment shot. Thing. Exactly. That, that's why I was haranguing my followers for uh, picking uh, in the early going. PBR was the front runner, and I was like, "Come on, that's not a punishment drink." Well, anyway, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about sad things that are sad, like soccer. Hey, one of our teams actually won a game. They did. It was a surprise. The Richmond Kickers won a game. Yep. For the first time since April. (laughs) Sad (laughs) things that are sad. Tonight we are talking about... um, a couple of sad games, possibly the saddest games. DC United had a no good, very bad, no good, horrible, very bad week. Um, I, whatever other descriptors, descriptors go along with that particular children's book. Uh, they, yeah, we'll talk about them. I'm not even going to list the scores now. If you, if you pay attention, you know what they were. If you don't pay attention, I am jealous of you. Please <laughs> teach me your ways. 
We're going to talk about something slightly less sad. The U.S. men's national team are in the Gold Cup final where they will play Jamaica this Wednesday night. We are going to talk about how they got there and why Mexico isn't there, if only briefly. And uh, we will talk about D.C. United's upcoming trip to Minnesota in the Midwest to face the other interlopers United. That game will happen Saturday night, 8 o'clock on News Channel 8. Before we do anything, though, now that we've dispensed with our... uh, our punishment shots. Jason, what are you actually drinking tonight? Uh, I think it's one of those made-up holidays that we now do as a as a culture that I don't really understand, but today's made-up holiday is National Tequila Day, I think. Um, I'm not actually sure about that, but I heard it last week and it stuck in my head that it was Monday. So, I am drinking uh, Rudo Añejo uh, Neat. Uh, this is the... Same tequila I've been drinking for a little while when I've been drinking tequila neat. It's it's pretty good. It's got this lemony, peppery kind of bite to it that's uh, pretty pretty agreeable. I have a, an Italian red wine because it was open leftover from dinner, and so is it, I is it just called Italian red wine? No, it's not. It's okay. <laughs> it's Viberti Giovanni, Lagimella, Barbera, Dalba. Is the the so region? It's a very long what, what, what I mean, there, there are several different um, late, like several different names on it. Mm-hmm. I don't speak Italian, and I'm not an expert in Italian wines. This is this is a tasty red. It is a DOC, so it's um, you know controlled origin. Like it, one of these names on it, it can only call itself that if it's from that region. The problem is, I'm not sure which one. I think it's uh, Barbera Dalba, but I don't know enough about Italian wine to be sure. So I'm just drinking. What turns out to be a very nice 2015 Italian red wine that I got from my friend's wine shop up in Brookland. Nice. Okay. Benjamin? I'm, I'm drinking this PBR, man. <laughs> Can you tell me about... G- give me some tasting notes, man. All right, let me take another sip. <laughs> uh, it has notes of malt and uh, uh, water. Piss? It has a Gra- no, no ground it's, up it's, blue ribbons. It's, it's not it's, it's not Bud Light. They or Miller Light. If they don't uh, grind up blue ribbons and put them in the vat when they're making it, they're lying to America. It has notes of generic maltiness and water. I think the primary yeah. note is water. Yeah, PBR's main quality is that it's very thin. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's better than Miller Light. Like, just uh, Miller Light is. Probably my least favorite of the generic uh, American adjunct lagers, as they're called, because it actively tastes bad, as opposed right. to Bud Light and uh, Natty Light, which just taste like nothing. I, I don't know. I think Miller Light is the bottom, but then I think Bud Light and Natty Light are also pretty bad. Well, and um, Beast. I mean, don't, don't ever drink Beast. Beast, for Beast is, like, not even... Don't don't ever. There's not a circumstance in which beast is acceptable. No. Um, At any but, point in college, did you guys, um, without your knowledge, find yeah, find out that you were drinking ice instead of light? Uh, thankfully, no. Like no, someone will say, "This but, is Bud Light," and it was actually Bud Ice or Natty Ice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thankfully, I had no. one one trip out to Ocean City um, where we went looking for Natty Bow. And we found a bait shop that had beer, and one of the beers they sold was Bow Ice. Oh, God. Which, which we had never no. heard of, and we are Marylanders. 
Um, we had never heard of bow ice existing, and I've never seen it anywhere else. So this might not have actually happened. It might have been like we we went. <laughs> it might have been natty. It might have been natty bow with a shot of vodka well, in it. What I'm thinking is we went through like a fold in 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 uh, the multiverse and ended up in a slightly different, very 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 slightly different uh, universe in which we were the same and everything else was the same, but there was bow ice instead of not bow ice. So um, I, I just and we looked drank it up. a bunch it, of it. This exists. It, it, it was in a blue can at the time. Yeah. Does it? Did and it have like speed lines on yes. next to the name? Yeah. Yes. That's a, that's a thing in our reality. Okay. So it, we, we, the other reality has bled through the internet. We found I'm it, it and we purchased like three cases of it because we it was like six dudes having a dudes weekend and, and it was going to rain, so we were just going to be st- sitting around getting drunk and watching basketball. So we did that. Uh, we drank as much of it as we could, and we tried to play beer pong, and we set up like a wall of bow ice, and I've probably got a photo on some computer somewhere of the wall of bow ice that we were having to play beer pong over. You had to shoot over the wall, uh, <laughs> which at, at a certain point just became like you couldn't see what you were aiming at, and we were drunk enough where we thought it was a, a good idea rather than signing on for a beer pong game that took an hour because you can't see your targets. If you find that um, picture, we should put it on for our Patreons. Yeah, if I can find it, I'll, I'll find it. Um, but I actually made an, I made a move today to get a piece of uh, equipment to actually get stuff off of old hard drives. So maybe I will actually find something like that. I... I, I remember going to a party and being told what we ha- what we were drinking was Bud Light, and so I was working on a another drink while I was playing beer pong, and and found myself getting way more drunk than I had <laughs> planned or or expected over that What's course happened? of time, and and then they're like, "Well, you're drinking that, and that's Bud Ice," and I was like, "What the hell?" And I like I I freaked out a little bit, and you know, then I rolled with it from there. But it was it was a moment of. Um, deep reflection and of my, questioning of life choices and reality. Not unlike your experience. From college, one of my friends from college, uh, the first time we, we had all of the pep band parties at my uh, uh, college apartment, because obviously, um, and one of my friends, uh, she didn't, she was new to drinking and she didn't understand that uh, pouring a splash of vodka in your uh beer pong cups was very different than pouring a splash of beer in your beer pong cups okay yes and it it, it obviously turned out badly and yes we tried, to, we tried to stop her and she just kept like distracting us or like sneaking away from us and and continuing to fill <laughs> her uh cups with uh with vodka, it, was, it, it ended up badly all around. There, there comes yeah. a point in your your stewardship of your friends where you you've tried to prevent them from making a bad decision. You've explained to them, you've physically restrained them, and they still insist on making a particular choice, and it's no longer on you. That's right. I mean, we, we, we let her best. stay. We let her stay in our apartment until the next morning because obviously she got <laughs> that drunk and needed to right. not go anywhere. So yeah, you couldn't let her out into the public. No, there's a reason wine pong and and vodka pong aren't things. Yeah, I've done wine pong. That that was a an interesting evening. <laughs> I've heard of wine pong from people who don't yeah. like beer. It never ends well. I did wine pong in an uh, an evening in which I was drinking for the cycle, which I think I've explained here before. Is uh, each you you have one mixed drink of each different major liquor type, uh, and there's also a beer and a wine. One bourbon, uh, one scotch, really- one beer. 
No, no, but like a bourbon or whiskey no, mixed I drink. I, I, I appreciate what you're throwing and down there, Ben. When you so, get when you get to the end of drinking for the cycle, you cap it off with a Long Island iced tea. Uh, that's how you you finish <laughs> the job. Um, but then after that, someone was like, "Well, did you drink any wine?" And I was like, "No." And they're like, "Well." Why don't we play wine pong instead of beer pong? And so I put wine in my cups. Uh, but when you're drinking for the wow. cycle, you already know and you tell people in advance that this is good drinking advice. If you're going to do something as stupid as drinking with the cycle, you tell your friends in advance, like, I'm going to drink for the cycle. And then they know, okay, we need to keep an eye on that guy um, for the rest of the night um, because he's not going to drive. He's making or- a bad decision. <laughs> Right, he or she has announced his intention, uh, their intentions, and uh, we have now, we now have the, uh, we've kind of been forced, the responsibility has been forced upon us to keep this person from, you know, walking into traffic or deciding to go into the sewer or whatever. Um, you never know where that person's going to end up, is my point. I'm going to talk straight to the listeners now and, and say, <laughs> it's not obvious that we really don't want to talk about these games. <laughs> I'm making it obvious. Yeah. DC United, uh, God, it all started so well. It really did. DC United went into Seattle and built themselves a deserved three goal lead 50 minutes into the game. And then, you know what? And then MLS just canceled the season. That's what happened. It It was the damnedest thing. MLS just Don Garber ran out onto the field in Seattle and, and started doing a weird dance. And everyone watching understood that dance to mean that the season was canceled. It was the damnedest thing. That isn't what happened, though. No, no it is. It is it, what happened. If though. only, if Jason, only. it is what happened. No, we we are going to wallow in the mud. Yeah, we are. Of these games. If uh, only Don Garber had done a strange dance in the center well, circle. I mean, even if he had, DC United would still have been like second from last. <laughs> so uh, that's fine. Um, we wouldn't have had to live through this last week, which saw DC United lose that three nothing lead uh and the game four to three and then they returned home only to get thumped by houston three to one giving up three goals in the first immediately yeah giving up three goals in the first 17 minutes and even though seattle was able to come back from a three nothing deficit in 40 minutes of soccer uh dc united was unable to in 73 minutes of soccer and i'm sure we'll talk about that during the rest of this segment uh because you know gluttons for punishment and all that jason i think you'd agree the houston game was somehow worse than than even the seattle loss as as gut punchy as the seattle one was the houston game was worse i think this is the this was the most disappointing game of the entire year and maybe the most disappointing game of the entire ben olsen era if I'm being honest, because when you add up all the context, which I'm about to, so if you're listening to this, like, if you're driving and listening to this, you should pull over because you might crash your car um, just out of sheer anger. Um, DC went came into this game on the back of seeing a 3-0 lead turn into a 4-3 loss without red cards, without uh, being victimized by bad refereeing. It was just their own fault that they lost 4-3. they came in to this one on the back of a long break that was supposed to be the season reset button where you're supposed to come out and be better. Um, they came into this one uh, 
against the worst road team in MLS coming into this. Houston was uh, zero wins, seven losses, three draws in, on the road um, coming into this game. Houston was also missing Kubo Torres, by far their leading goal scorer. They're missing Albert Elise, uh, a major part of their attack. They're missing Romel Kyoto, who hasn't been starting, but is still like a major impact sub for them. They were starting Andrew Wenger uh, as a right winger. Um, if only and, he had dribbled out of bounds. No, instead, uh, United let him score a goal, which is always, if you're giving up a goal to Andrew Wenger, you have done something terribly wrong. Um, yeah. Wenger out. And I feel like there are other contextual things that I can't even remember. Um, Houston had to make a last-second change to their lineup. They had to drop DeMarcus Beasley and bring Dylan Remick in at left back. Um, they had played midweek on the road, so they were doing a second straight road game, uh, with no rest. Um, all of those things thrown together on the back of what DC had done on Wednesday and the fact that they had had, this was the chance for them to save their season and turn it around was this, this break for the gold cup and to and come instead out they put reset, two in the head, right. You know, to, to, to go from three, nothing up in Seattle, looking forward to, a game against the worst road team in MLS on the weekend where you're thinking like we could get six points. Uh, and if you, if, if DC gets six points, we're back in the, I mean, yes, we'd still be seven points behind the crew in sixth place after the way the weekend worked out, but still at 24 on the back of two straight wins, you're, you're showing a pulse at the very least. Um, and instead, uh, like the Seattle game was like the nail in the coffin. And then the Houston, the the opening 20 minutes against Houston was like the funeral's over and everyone's gone home and has moved on with their lives. Um, this isn't even like, we're like beyond the point of breaking out of the casket and digging through the dirt. Uh, like Beatrix kiddo. We're like a moldering corpse at this point. Um, and just to, to have all of those things sitting in the balance and to go for it to go that wrong on, just dumb stuff. I mean, like win your win your battles on a corner kick, which a set piece goal. DC United giving up a set piece goal for the fiftieth time this year uh, is extraordinarily irritating. Um, yeah, yeah, we that actually was removed by uh, our our health advisors from the DC United drinking game because it happens so often. Right. They said we yeah, can't we, send we people can't. to the hospital, so no right. more drinking when DC United concedes a corner kick or a set piece goal. It's just. Also, it happened in both point, games. Corner kick goals happened in both games. The, yeah. the third goal in Seattle and the first goal against Houston, both corner kick goals. It was just unbelievable. Like, really. At least the Seattle goal was, like, a difficult finish. The Houston goal was, like, win your individual battle. That's all right. it is. Yeah, and, and they were different They were different defenders, thankfully. Um, but nobody did. Yeah, it's just from the 50-minute the mark in Seattle on was just no I, I have no words is the problem. I'm a podcaster and I have no words. I mean it's just a it's a disaster of a 70 what 50 minutes is that the goals were all in what 50 minutes and it's it it's a season ender. That, that's all you can say about it. It's a season yeah. ender. The season is now done, uh, and the team needs to start building in this transfer window for next season. Because yeah. 
they have no chance of making the playoffs, as Jason will post later in this uh, in this week. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's done. And this will be sometime after. Yeah, that post will probably come up sometime the same day that this comes out, and it'll yeah. be the the and math yeah, involved is like if you think it's bad, it's actually worse than you think. It's way worse than you think. It's super bad, and yeah, it's, it, this season is done, and. If they don't improve this window, it's because you, you have to start improving now. You can't wait and try and throw everything in to the first season in yeah. Buzzard Point window. You you have to do it now. Uh, you have to start now at least, and then you build further in the next window. And it's, especially because if, if you don't, if you don't this, if you don't, you're wasting the rest of this season. If you don't start right. getting for next year in this window, then you're just wasting the rest of this season. We can go further down this this rabbit hole, but like if Bobby Boswell starts another game this season, it's a waste. Like he's it doesn't matter at this point if he's the better player or whatever. It's a waste. So And, and it's not just that you have this chance to get new signings that you you know, we always say new signings are going to need half a season to really get acclimated. We saw it with Luciano Acosta. Yeah. Um, we've seen it all over the league over and over again. Um, you have an opportunity to acclimate these guys with no real pressure because the season is essentially over. Um, the other thing is that the players that are available in the summer window, the pool of players is always going to be better than it is in the winter window because yes. players, especially for a team like DC that might maybe is going to spend – um, a little bit of money on one guy. We're not going to see two big transfers. They, they're they going to be looking for maybe one big transfer, and then everyone else is going to be either a trade or someone that's out of contract already. People don't be – they don't find themselves out of contract in the winter window. It's a very small group of leagues that that you would be out of contract in the winter window unless you have a weird contract. Um, And so this is the opportunity to get – better players in like the, this is the the better window to do your work and this is why so many teams make their big signing mid-season they would like to make it at the start of the season everyone would like to have their best guy available for their best new player to have their have him here for the whole preseason but the reality is is that this is the time where most of the players of that caliber become available um and, and so and they, they shouldn't worry about roster spots like you can just loan somebody out for the rest of this season and not worry about it until next season. So sign the guys you want now and just loan them out or do whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and not to the kickers, loan them out to wherever they are now, someplace in a, that has a season that ends in uh, November or December, whatever it has to be. But you can't worry about the constrictions of uh, the roster for this season when planning your uh, team for next season. I'll point out that we're recording this Monday night. There are 16 days left in the transfer window. Um, it closes August 9th. Um, and we're recording late on Monday. So really there are 15 hours, 15 days and a few hours left in the transfer window. So the clock is ticking and it's ticking loud. Um, and so far, I mean, you know, Ryan Kiefer on our site has tracked down the Bruno Miranda offer more than anyone in the English language. Um, but that's it. And he's a 19 year old or a 20 year old. I can't remember off the top of my head. Not um, someone who's coming in to start. Right. He might right be now. a big, he might be a big deal in 2019 or even the back half of 2018, but this team needs players that are ready to start 
the first game of next season and be at a high level right then. Um, so if he's the if he's the main signing of this window and and maybe he costs maybe he's the transfer fee that you've got to pay, so be it. But there's got to be something else coming in, and it's got to be coming in soon um, because the the clock is ticking. There's not much time to do anything else uh, to get ready for next year. And we're already at get ready for next year point, but we can't let these two weeks go by and not get deals done. Yeah, and, and, the, and I really want to see it. Miranda. Miranda's a forward and a wing. Right. I really want to see move in central midfield and particularly defensive midfield. Yes. Uh, I, I, I talked about this with Devin. Mc, God, yes. I talked about this with Devin McTavish when we had him on the show. Um, it's just such a vital position. It's a platform that allows you to build forward. It helps your attack and your defense when you have the right guy in that spot, especially in Olsen's preferred four, one, three, two, which lets Harks get a little further forward and, allows Acosta to 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 fall back a little further when he wants to. I think your numbers are a little out of order. Or four one four one, sorry. Uh rather than four two three one. Um I was focusing on the next sentence too much and I, I, I misplaced some numbers. Either way, I I really think that's the position that they need and they need someone who can come in and be an all star level player there for for united yeah. to not to compete this year but to get ready to compete next year right. uh, especially with a dozen road games to start the year next year that's that's the situation they're staring at now not only are they is this season starting to look not starting to look it is looking absolutely lost but they have a huge road trip to start next year so just Adam, staring them in the face Adam, are you sure you don't want Jared Jeffrey starting all of those road yes. games for next season? Yes, I'm sure. He's not a number six. He's he he can pass the ball decently well when he's not under pressure, but he's not the the positionally disciplined guy you need to screen that that back line. Um, yeah, and obviously there are other pieces this team needs, but for me the most vital one is. That number six. Well, and that's the thing about starting in this window. And that's the thing about starting in this window is that there are so many things they have to do that they can't wait for next for the uh, January window because they need to sign ten guys conservatively, and you can't do that all in one window and expect your team to do anything at the beginning of the year. So you need to sign at least I don't know three of those guys this window. Well, just, at the very least, have a chance. At the very least, the defensive midfield thing needs to be addressed now. Yes, if, if the rest of the window goes by, if all they do in this window, and, and maybe we'll be nice and count Deshaun Brown as a quasi window sign, even though he happened like a month early because of the weird situation there. Um, if the if the additions are Brown, Bruno Miranda, and a high level defensive midfielder, I'll call this window a success. Um, but at least a pass when I'm saying high level, I'm saying like top five in MLS level defensive midfield, because this, this team needs that because of the way they play, because they want to get out and run and play so much transition soccer. They need somebody there to slow other teams down because when you play that way, the first thing that happens, the, the thing you're most vulnerable to is what you like to do to other teams. You open yourself up to, uh, numbers coming the other way and you need, 
a, an elite defensive midfielder to shut that down. And when you throw in the fact that Steve Birnbaum is in a mysterious, uh, unsolvable funk this entire year, um, to the point that we weren't entirely sure that he was, you know, maybe he has a knock, but if someone told you it was just for form, you wouldn't be entirely surprised why he got dropped uh, against Houston. Not that it made a difference. Um, yeah. But uh, this team needs that that spot on the field needs to be good in both directions for so many reasons that um, it's hard to imagine. You could sign a, a superstar forward and it still wouldn't make this team a playoff team. I mean, we've seen it reminds me a little of NYCFC when David Villa was there, but they were a bad team anyway, even though he kept scoring goal after goal as because the rest of the team was so bad. Um, and without improving it, it, at the number six, they're not going to become a good team. It, it's the first, it's the main hurdle they have to clear before they do anything else. It has to be top of the list. I don't have anything else to say about these two games, at least not right now. Uh, I'll briefly add that I thought Nick DeLeon, for someone who'd been out for that long, looked pretty sharp uh, in his time after the, after the game was already over, obviously. Um, but I, I thought he did a pretty good job, even though he was in the 70th minute. I don't know if it came through on TV, but he was like doubled over um, whenever there was a break, just trying to catch his breath. He was clearly completely out of gas at that point, but, you know, he did his job pretty well at right back. It was a, it was a reminder of what he can be as a right back for this team, which was nice to see. Yeah. Once he's totally back to fitness, which obviously won't be this weekend, right. uh, given how long he's been out and how uh, tired he was. But I, I don't think there's a way you can keep him off the field with how bad everybody else has been. Right. So I lied there. There was one more thing I wanted to talk about. And that, that was kind of the, the urgency with which United didn't play down three goals against Houston. They, they kind of, you, you could tell they were broken. And after, after the midweek game, it was clear why, but you contrast that with Seattle who did fight back and made an historic win out of it. Um, You could see the urgency they were playing with and, and the, the changes they were able to make uh, that, Ben Olsen just doesn't have the same tools on the roster, but even without the the two speed substitutions that um, Brian Schmetzer was able to make, you, you just looked at United and you could tell down three goals that the game was over after 17 minutes. And that wasn't yep. the case in Seattle, even after 50 minutes. And that mentality is a, a big deal. And I don't know what to do about it. And I'm not. It's a long I'm road. Not sure, Ben, your tweet road. is incorrect. Sorry, Ben, put me on blast on Twitter right now, and I did say an historic. I don't you jerk! I <laughs> you misheard me, and you put me on blast on Twitter. I demand an apology right now. You're not getting one. You were wrong. You put me on blast for a factually inaccurate thing. I heard you say a historic. I did not say a historic. I said an historic. All right, I'll delete it. You don't have to delete it. I don't want you to delete it. I want you to apologize. I want you to retract it. I deleted it. <laughs> That's it for this segment. I do want to say one more thing not about uh, these games. I want to thank our Patreon backers because I am recording 
this episode on a brand new, well, refurbished, but new to me, laptop that is an upgrade over what I had before, which was a loaner machine that had lots of lag issues while we were recording. And I'm, I'm sitting here and we had some setup issues uh, that forced us to delay recording this episode by about an hour. But once those were worked out, this thing has worked flawlessly and it, it runs super smooth and it was made possible by those of you who are contributing to our Patreon campaign. And I just want to say thank you. And I'm sure Jason and Ben, who are not hearing me cut out for several seconds and Indeed, come back in nice. without without knowing what the conversation was. Uh, Trying to guess at what Adam might have been building to. <laughs> or or me coming in with a response, guessing at what you guys had said. Yeah, the last few episodes have been a little bit touch and go, but now this episode has has gone pretty smoothly once we got it started. And I, I want to thank our Patreon backers for that. On that note, which is much better, a much better note than we had throughout this entire segment, we're going to uh, be right back to talk about the U.S. Men's National Team. Stick around. It's filibuster. I don't know when I've been drinking bourbon whiskey, scotch and gin. Gonna get high, man. I'm gonna get loose. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious you in a I'm really not. Uh but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh they they offer discrimination wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except no, he they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash I don't know when I've been drinking bourbon whiskey, scotch and gin. Gonna get high, man. I'm gonna get loose. Welcome back to Filibuster. The United States, uh, despite really not very many impressive showings, have found themselves in the final of the 2017 Gold Cup, which is a thing, no matter what my opinions on it may be. They beat Costa Rica two to nothing. Uh last week uh and uh find themselves against jamaica in the final and this tournament hasn't exactly been impressive the costa rica game was probably their best performance of the tournament so far jason thoughts uh i thought this was the first game that was actually like worth paying attention to um it was the first game where the two teams were actually playing an interesting game of soccer um 
And actually, I'd say that for both semifinals. It was the the first two games of the Gold Cup where I was watching and actually didn't feel my eyes glaze over um, and my brain shut off and start doing other things. Um, I thought the U.S. had a smart game plan, holding a lot of possession. Um, really, they were in, they were really in charge to the point that um, Costa Rica was was trying to make tactical changes. They were trying to shuffle the deck a little bit. Um, they went from the five four one. They started with they kind of tried to play four or three four three for a few minutes. They switched. Um, they did a weird thing where they switched. Uh, Johnny Acosta and Kendall Waston, who were two of the three center backs, they flipped them and put Waston into the left center back role where he ended up with more space to deal with, which to me seems dicey because he's not the best player on the ball. Um, but maybe his his athleticism allowed him to cover ground that Acosta couldn't. Um, that was an interesting look. They then, I have it in my notes that they were playing a 5-3-1-1 for a while. Um, they were really trying to figure out how to get the U.S. Uh, pinned back a little more. Um, and, and so we had sort of, sort of a tactical uh, chess match going on, which was kind of fascinating. Um, but, you know, ultimately Bruce Arena had a card to play that we don't play, you don't put cards down on the chessboard, but we're going to mix these metaphors up. Um, he had a card to play that uh, Oscar Ramirez didn't. He had Clint Dempsey in his back pocket, whereas... Costa Rica had their best 11 on the field. Uh, Are you allowed to play cards from your back pocket? Yeah, why not? Um, in this in this metaphor cocktail we have I mean, going. If you're, if you're going to cheat uh, at cards, then um, that's a place you could put it. It would be pretty difficult to, like, fool people and yeah. get into your back pocket. But, you know, maybe you're playing with dummies. I don't know. He had a deuce um, up his sleeve, which generally isn't good, but... Sorry, I apologize. Yeah, no, you know what? No, I don't. I do not apologize no, for that. You're taking it back. I stand by that pun. At, that, that's at, everyone. That's Adam and Adam alone on that one. Um, <laughs> he's gonna have to sink or swim by himself with that. Hey, Clint um, Dempsey tied the record. He for, did for for all time goal scoring for the men's national team. So and congrats he, he to him. It, he did it in a moment in which he he scored direct from a free kick, and as soon as his ball got around the outside of the Costa Rican wall, he was already celebrating. Um, he was celebrating before that ball entered the back of the net, which is pretty awesome to see. Um, it's always a fun thing for when when it's a guy on your team that's fun. It's if you're Costa Rica is probably pretty miserable, um, but that's their problem. Um, I, I thought ultimately that the score pretty fairly reflected the game, but it was definitely a higher level. Uh, of play than we've seen in this tournament. So that was that was nice. It was nice to watch a Gold Cup game and it didn't feel like I was having to do it as an obligation um, to talk about it on this podcast and on the site. Um, it was nice for the game to actually give my brain something to, to feed on a little bit and, and think of. Um, you know, it was... Uh, I think it was valuable for the U.S. to give Dempsey a rest for a game. I, th- I assume he's going to start against Jamaica. Um, that fact, the fact that he'll be starting against Jamaica in the Gold Cup final is in and of itself a uh, pretty substantial surprise um, because Jamaica knocked Mexico out. It, that was also a really good game, um, even though Mexico will probably say that it wasn't a good game because they underperformed. But they underperformed because Jamaica, I think, caught them off guard a little bit. They um, they didn't approach the game the same way. They changed their tactics, not so much their formation, but they, they changed their approach to the game. And they were a little more brave, and I think Mexico was caught off guard. Um, they still probably win the game if, if Andre Blake isn't Andre Blake for Jamaica. But um, 
it, it should be a fascinating final because Theodore Whitmore, Whitmore the Jamaica coach, is showing that um, he has some pretty smart uh, reads on how to approach an individual game. Um, and he gives his team a, a significant chance to win games just by uh, altering the tactics as, as needed, not just doing it because, you know, it's not like to – to compare to Mexico, where Juan Carlos Osorio is just changing things to change things. It's it's very much a throw it at the wall and see if it sticks approach. Um, that's not a good idea, and he's not a good coach, um, which we've said before. Uh, he was bad with the Red Bulls. He's still bad now. Um, I assume he's going to get fired. You can't – if you're in Mexico and you get knocked out in the semifinals of the Gold Cup to Jamaica, he, your coach gets fired. That's how that goes. Um and, and that's how it should have gone when the U.S. got knocked out by Jamaica yes. in the last Gold Cup. By the way, this is this Jamaica now the longest active streak of Gold Cup finals. They made the yes. 2015 final against Mexico and, and the 2017 final against the U.S. That's two straight finals, which is more than anyone else. And yet, in between those two things, which is only two years, they managed to get knocked out of World Cup qualifying before the Hicks Act. <laughs> yes, they um, they went through a rebuild, and now they're back or something. I mean. I, I was I was impressed with what I saw out of Jamaica. Um, I mean, they still still had to rely on goalkeeping, but they're against the good teams in Concacaf. They're always going to have to relate or they rely on their goalkeeper to carry them through. Um, but there's still a purpose to what they were trying to do. There's a an intelligence in the way that Whitmore has them set up. Um, he's still only their interim coach, which is weird to me. I feel like after. Um, what he's done since they crashed out of qualifying, I feel like they should probably just give him the job, but I, I don't know. That's not, I'm not the Jamaica football federation, so I don't have control over that. Um, yeah, it's been interesting to watch them, uh, get success despite having a couple USL starters. Uh, Romario Williams, who plays for the Charleston battery, um, has been a big success, uh, for Jamaica. Um, they're going to be, they're definitely going to sit deep and play probably, quasi four four one one I would guess. Um but the fact that Whitmore has changed his approach uh for give a given opponent means that there is a sort of a, a mystery about them a little bit. There is you know, they're probably not gonna throw throw out a back five. I think we can rule that out, but as far as how they're going to approach this game, maybe they sit in a bunker or maybe they come out and try and really play on the counter like they did against Mexico because that seemed to be their they seem to be more comfortable playing that way than any other way. And the U.S. showed against uh, Martinique early in the tournament that they can be susceptible to the counter. And even though the, there have been a lot of changes since then, um, I, I wonder whether the U.S., especially if a goal's not forthcoming very quickly, if we could see the U.S. have numbers sucked forward and and see that vulnerability. I mean, it's certainly what Costa Rica was trying to do um, with with the number the number of players they were dropping back. Um, that's definitely, and the idea is to force the U S to throw that extra numbers, that extra player forward, and then force the turnover and hit on the break. Um, I think Brad Friedel actually pointed out during the Mexico Jamaica game that, um, what Jamaica was doing really effectively was they were, um, what he kept saying, what he kept referring to as setting traps. And the idea is to guide your opponent into a place where they're not at their best and then where you have the ability to flood that zone with numbers and win the ball back. Um, and they were effective at that. And, uh, the good news for the U S is that they got to see it, see that plan, uh, enacted. They have 90 minutes of tape watching, um, how they would approach that. But at the same time, 
Uh, if Jamaica becomes a team that's really good at that, they're going to become a dangerous team on the counter because if you're forcing turnovers when you want to force turnovers, you're generally going to have uh, a good chance to counter. And it's not like they're short on speed. Um, Williams is fast. Darren Maddox is very fast. Um, a lot of their players, Elvis Powell is extremely fast. Uh, they're right back. So um, they can definitely break out um, effectively. So it's not a it's not a team to overlook. Um, they didn't beat Mexico on accident. So uh, as much as it seems like the U.S. got kind of a dream uh, setup getting, I mean, they did have to beat Costa Rica, but other than that, they've kind of had to stroll to the Gold Cup final. But this is going to be a difficult game. Um, they have to really do a good job of taking care of the ball, which is what they did against Costa Rica for the most part. And I think they have to match or or better that um, in terms of keeping possession, but keeping it for a reason, not just passing it around the back and that's all that's happening. You want to have the ball getting forward and still piling up um, connected passes and moving the moving the Jamaicans around until something opens up. The U.S., as, as well as they took care of the ball uh, against Costa Rica, they were unable to break through until Clint Dempsey came on as a sub. Uh, he came on, provided the assist for Josie Altidore's opener in the 72nd minute, and then provided the insurance goal in the 82nd. Do you think he starts in this one, or does Bruce Arena keep him on the bench as a super sub? Uh, I think he's going to start this one. Um, I think the idea to rotate him out was just, you know, you don't want to play three games in a week at his age, um, and having to travel, uh, because the Gold Cup is a cross-country endeavor. Um, they never set it up in a way where it's easy to... It's a summer tournament in which you have to play multiple games in a week, and you also have to get on a flight every single time. Um, it probably shouldn't exist uh, every more than once every four years, but uh, we're stuck with that. Um, I think he's probably going to cycle back in. He'll, he'll replace Jordan Morris. Um, and the idea will be to break... Because the thing is, with Jamaica sitting deep, you're going to have to break them down with clever players... Um, sending someone like Morris out there, I don't think it's really that effective because they're going to drop off and his speed no longer becomes a factor when there's not space to run into. Um, Dempsey is much more the kind of guy that can break that. I mean, the goal he set up for Altidore is a perfect example where Costa Rica seemed to be in a good defensive shape and he broke through with, uh, you know, some good timing and a, and a good run on the dribble where he, he opened up a seam that hadn't been there. Um, and that's the kind of thing that we're going to need to see against Jamaica. Um, and even if, if, if arena decides that he can't play more than half an hour and he has to be, uh, the ace up the sleeve again, then I think it'll be, um, Juan Agudelo instead that's because the, the deuce up his sleeve. Come on, dude. No ace. <laughs> if you play a two, uh, if you're, if you're at the poker table and you throw a two out, you're probably not going to succeed. It's very narrow. What if deuces are wild? Come on. What what kind of poker amateur I don't know. poker game are you at where they've got wild cards? There, I, there is one game I know where where two is the highest card, uh, but it's not a poker game. Indiana's weird. Is it is it the game asshole? It is in fact the yes. game asshole. <laughs> um, well, we we could do a whole podcast on my thoughts of that game, um, but and maybe instead, we will. Maybe one day we we will talk about probably, that. It, it would probably be better than talking about DC United. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but no, I think Juan Agudelo, if, if Dempsey can't be 
used for an hour uh, or so, then it'll be Agudelo because, again, you need to bring players forward and be clever. Um, Morris running in behind, they're just the space isn't going to be there because Jamaica's most likely going to uh, take that option off the table. So you have to be able to get between the lines and break Jamaica open rather than just try and get in behind because uh, they, they're not going to give it to you easily. Um, they're going to make it difficult. And so we might see a game in which the U.S. has a ton of possession, but not too many chances because they're they're having to be patient. But they've got to stay patient and stay in control and, and understand that just because you get to halftime and it's 0-0 and you haven't really had too many big shots, you don't necessarily have to get worried because Jamaica hasn't been rotating. They didn't bring in um, six players at the end of the group stage. They've been rolling with these guys every single game. They don't have the depth to rotate guys out. And so come, you know, the, the last hour or the last half hour of this game, they're probably going to be exhausted. Um, and that's maybe the best time to try and, uh, try and pounce and win the game. But, you know, hopefully they don't have to wait that long. Hopefully they can break them open in the first half and, uh, make it easy. Speaking of rotation, Michael Bradley and Kellen Acosta started the last game. Do you expect to see the two of them in central midfield, which is arguably where the U.S. is going to win this game? Yeah, I think so, um, especially because you, when you throw Dax McCarty out there, it, there's a certain redundancy with what he and Bradley are best at. Um, Darlington Nagby showed against uh, El Salvador that it's not necessarily the best thing in the world if they're playing four four two for him to be the second central midfielder, especially Jamaica has a lot of size, a lot of physical strength. They play very physical soccer. Um, that's not really Nagby's game. And in the middle, he's just going to be exposed to that over and over again. Um, so I think it will be Bradley and Acosta uh, again. Um, I don't really have any doubt about that. I think the only spot I really have much doubt um, over is, you know, the fullbacks, whether Arena will um, – rotate Eric Lee high in, uh, for Graham Zussi. I don't think Justin Morrow is going to, um, rotate for Viafania. I think Morrow has kind of let this opportunity slip through his fingers a little bit in terms of his individual play. Um, but yeah, I don't see too much rotation because it's a final. Um, but you know, Dempsey coming back in, I, that's likely. And then maybe someone steps in for Paul Areola and Graham Zussi, maybe for Eric Lee high, but that's it. I think otherwise it'll be almost the same exact team all over again. This game will happen Wednesday night on Fox Sports 1 at, what, 9.30, I think, is the listed time. Who knows what time the kickoff will actually be. Uh, 10.30 so, on a Wednesday, probably. Yeah, 10.30, probably 10.17 right. or thereabouts. Um, whatever it is, it will be on Fox Sports 1 and Univision. Uh so check it out there, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll be talking about something good on this podcast next week, <laughs> which will be a nice change. Probably not. Probably not. Probably something will go wrong. just cursed us. Jamaica we wins are... 6 nothing. <laughs> Congratulations, Jamaica. We are a beaten people here on Filibuster. And on that note, we will be right back with Alex Gormley, uh, our, our good friend from... Uh, E. Pluberus Lunum covering Minnesota United. Stick around. It's filibuster. Welcome back to filibuster. DC United will try to right the ship uh, this weekend and in the process remain perfect 
against MLS Interlopers United. They travel to Minnesota to face Minnesota United at 8 o'clock Eastern Time on News Channel 8. To help us preview it, we have Alex Gormley from the incredibly well-named E. Pluberus Ludum uh, on SB Nation. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys uh, letting me hop on as a guest. What are you drinking tonight? I'm just having a bottle of water right now, but I think you guys have me beat on that one for sure. Just regular tap water or like a fizzy water? It's uh, it's regular bottled water. I didn't want to uh, give the brand name out. I don't want to give any company a run. No, here. yeah, no, 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 no buzz, buzz marketing. marketing. We we exactly. do plenty of buzz marketing, exactly. uh, but I, I respect your stand against it. Uh, so this is you. You're now more than halfway through your first season as a supporter of Minnesota United, the MLS version. Mm-hmm. How has that inaugural season gone in a nutshell? I mean, it's if I had to describe it in a nutshell, it'd definitely be a roller coaster. I mean, team has just been uh, all over the place offensively and then all over the place defensively, which was in the beginning of the year. They just couldn't stop other teams from scoring, and now they can't score themselves. So it's uh, it's been kind of a bipolar season. Um, you know, the highs have been really high, some good wins against Portland, uh, good form at home. But uh, over the last month or so, the team hasn't won at all, so... It's, uh, it's, it's getting a little uh, testy out, out in Minnesota, for sure. I feel those feels. <laughs> Adrian Heath uh, had, had some big actions and big words early in the year, before the season even started, sending a, a maximum allocation to Orlando for his former player, Kevin Molino, and in saying draft pick Abu Dunladi had the potential to be the single best striker in MLS how are those two guys in particular huge pieces of the attack? Obviously, how are they? How are they um, managing to live up to to the lofty expectations set by Heath? Yeah, I'll start with Kevin Molino first. Um, you know, he was a guy that had spent a lot of time under Heath in Orlando, and I feel like Heath obviously knew his game really well and um, was counting on him to be you know the creative force in this in the offense for Minnesota United and. He's been, when he's been really good, he's been great, um, but he ha- really has trouble uh, putting together consistent performances. So, you know, he'll he'll have a couple of really good passes and then completely fade out of the game. I mean, it's not unlike the rest of Minnesota's offense, but when you put it together, like you said, um, a really big package of money like that, you would want him to show up day in and day out. <clears throat> so as far as uh, Abu Dunlady is concerned, um, the jury's kind of still out on him, on, on my opinion. Uh, he's, he's definitely shown flashes of, of really big potential, but he really has struggled to stay healthy. And another thing that it's not his fault, and I think it's affecting um, how effective he is, is that Adrian Heath is opting to use him more as a right attacking midfielder and a winger rather than an out-and-out striker, given how good Christian Ramirez is. But I think if the team ends up switching to maybe a two-striker formation, we could really see uh, how good Dunlady is in the second half of this year. So at the beginning of the season, uh, I think the defense could have been charitably described as one of MLS's worst defenses of all time. Um, has it improved at all? Has it just been papered over? And is there anything that can make it even reasonable going down the stretch the rest of this season without uh, the ability to bring anybody new in. 
Yeah, I, I think what you said is it's a very delicate way of putting it. Uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> think Minnesota United fans would have uh, been that delicate after the first three games of the year. But um, you know, defense has definitely come a long way. Um, Adrian Heath never really been known as a defensive coach. Uh, you know, a lot of people in Orlando City would point that out as well. But over the you know the last I'd say three months, he's been done a really good job of figuring out you know. This is the back line we're going with. It's it's Brent Coleman, it's Francisco Calvo, it's Jerome Tyson, and then left left back was uh, Mark Birch, but he's hurt. But when they had that, uh, Mark Birch, we remember him. Yeah, yeah, believe that he's still sticking around. But uh, I mean, he has a pretty serious injury, so I don't know how long he'll last in Minnesota. Unfortunately, but um, when those that back four has been together, their defense has actually been pretty good. But um, recently, it's it's been pretty tough with. The Gold Cup with uh, Francisco Calvo playing for Costa Rica and Jermaine Taylor, um, who's actually like, you know, the third or fourth best option at, at center back. Um, he's away too. And Brent Coleman's banged up. Joe Greenspan's banged up. So the back line has just been a really makeshift lately. And um, when the offense hasn't been firing on all cylinders, uh, it's definitely, definitely trouble. But hopefully the uh, back line will heal up in the near future. So. DC United traded one of their homegrown players to Minnesota United, uh, Colin Martin, obviously. Yep. And how's how's Colin been doing? Is he does he have a future in Minnesota? Uh, it, it seems like he's been making the bench, occasionally starting, occasionally subbing in. Uh, how do Minnesota fans see him? And is he in their at least medium range plans? Yeah, I think he's definitely in their medium range plans. I don't think that they would have, um, you know, spent the capital to go out and acquire him if they didn't think that, you know, he had something that to contribute, uh, whether in this season or down the road. I think that maybe Minnesota United saw him, like you said, kind of a middle to long term uh, prospect, but he's he's been playing a bit as of late due to, um, you know, the short bench and things like that. And it's kind of, I think it's kind of been tough on him trying to figure out Adrian Heath's system because. The attacking corpse is just so set in stone who it's going to be. You know, it's going to be Christian Ramirez up top. You got Ibarra and uh, sometimes Dunlady out on the wings and uh, Kevin Molino kind of playing in that second striker attacking mid. So um, it's kind of tough on Colin Martin to, to try to figure out where he fits in at the offense. Um, but he's, he's definitely settling in. I think his last performance, he ended up starting against New York and he didn't stick out like a sore thumb. I mean... Not exactly um, glowing praise from me, but but I think uh, he definitely has a future in Minnesota. I think that they would prefer to kind of loan him out so he can play uh, more consistent minutes in a role that he's more comfortable with. Um, but I don't I don't think he's like a weak weak spot when he's playing or anything like that. And then my last question um, is just about the head coach. What, what was your reaction when Adrian Heath was hired, and how does that compare to your opinion on Adrian Heath? now halfway through a season yeah I mean I I'm actually a pretty big Adrian Heath fan now um I didn't have necessarily like the best opinion of him uh coming into this season but I could definitely look at the hiring and see the justification behind it because he had been with Orlando City um through their transition into MLS and shaping the team in, in its first couple of years and I think that he did a pretty good job with that at Orlando City and I think if um, you know the front office and the ownership doesn't get impatient with them, I think we could see you know a similar type of of team in a few years with Minnesota United. Um, as far as his 
management and uh, tactics goes, I mean, everyone's kind of an armchair manager. Um, I think he's a little bit too reliant on uh, the four-two-three-one formation. I, I think he's being too rigid with that. He's uh, not letting the team experiment with other ways of scoring by two strikers. And he also doesn't really substitute players a lot. So on Twitter, he, there's always people giving him gruff about that. But I think um, the way he's kind of shaped the team up, it's it's definitely come a long way since the beginning of the year when it looked like it was going to be a disaster. So I think um, I think he's pretty much exceeded expectations, uh, to be honest, to this point. Uh Alex, uh, one player that I, I, I've had my eye on for even back when Minnesota was in NASL um, as a player that I wanted DC United to go sign was uh, Christian Ramirez, who is uh, has proven to be just as effective in MLS uh, as he was down there. He's uh, one of the top scorers in the league, I think, at this point. Um, Ten goals, I'm just now finding. Uh, mm-hmm. um, overall... Uh, his adaptation to the league has been really strong. Do you think that he's someone that Minnesota can keep around forever, or is that someone that eventually they're going to have to face the uh, transfer reality and uh, sell? Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. I think um, it, it depends on you know how people outside of Minnesota see Christian Ramirez. I think um, had he made the Gold Cup roster over someone like – I mean, obviously Dom, Dom Dwyer was going to play, but uh, – like a Jordan Morris and, and played well that that might have you know maybe opened the door to a move to a bigger league um, but uh, I, I would like to think that he would stay in Minnesota for the time being but um, given his form and and just how good he's been just a really big physical player um, you know scores all types of goals he can score headers he's a pretty decent poacher too um, I wouldn't be surprised if other teams um, you know come come knocking and seeing if he's available but um Given how reliant the team is on him, I think they would be kind of hard-pressed to sell him anytime in the near future unless, you know, we see Abu Dunlai really uh, shine at the striker position or Brandon Allen, who they brought in on loan, um, if he ends up panning out. You know, maybe. Um, it's, it's hard to say whether or not, you know, Minnesota would let him go, but he's just been such an integral part to the team this season and coming up through NASL, you know, it would be a hard sell to the fan base specifically. Uh, I know he's only played the one game, but uh, Minnesota's first move in the window was to sign uh, Sam Nicholson, a Scottish winger. Um, I know the game against the Red Bulls went pretty poorly, but what did you think of Nicholson with this? Uh, this is it, I guess a, a good first impression or not? Um, I thought he was he was all right. Uh, he didn't really do too much to stick out, but um, him and Michael Boxall, who was um, signed to, for defensive depth, they they had visa issues or. Boxall had visa issues, so the fact that they were even in the lineup was kind of like a bit of an upset. Um, I think Nicholson, he's going to be pretty important to the team because um, the wingers specifically are, are pretty like entrenched in their positions, and they need to have someone kind of nipping at their heels to make sure that their um, you know their effort and their and their work rate doesn't drop off. Um, I do think that um, you know, like I said, he had a, he had a fair first game. He only played about sixty minutes, but um, there are definitely some flashes there. He's, he's a quick player. He's, he's pretty good with the ball at his feet. And um, he's shown the ability to score from long distance, which would definitely be a big thing for this team because they're so reliant on Christian Ramirez right now. They really need someone else that can, um, you know, take the take the pressure off him scoring-wise. Um, 
one player I've been fascinated about by all season. He's not really getting a lot of attention, uh, partially because I don't think I don't think anyone expected uh, Ibsen to be such a big part of what Minnesota does. He's thirty three. He was a holdover from the NASL team. He wasn't a starter at first, um, but all of a sudden he's been pretty much indispensable for like three months now. He's um, I saw a stat recently that had him in the top five in terms of uh, how many touches he gets per game um, or the percentage of touches he gets, uh, his team's touches. Uh, so he's heavily involved every week. What is he bringing to the table that, that it's going under the radar, but obviously he's doing something right if he stays in the lineup so often? Yeah, he's so important to this team, not only kind of as a, as a veteran guy who's you know been there and done that. His His track record prior to coming to Minnesota was, you know, it, it spoke for itself, the types of teams that he played for. Um, but, yeah, it, it really was a surprise. I don't think anyone really thought that he'd be the name, you know, written in pen on the on the lineup sheet at this point mm-hmm. in the season. But he's just been so good, like you said, getting so many touches. He's the guy that, you know, the back line can count on. They feed the ball to him, and then he can kind of spray it out forward to the attackers or, or settle it down. He's he's really the fulcrum of the offense, um, and he's he's been really good. He's been great, and I definitely um, – didn't really see a lot out of him in the in the preseason, so he, he wasn't really even on my radar to that degree. But yeah, he's definitely been one of the best players of the team and a real surprise. Um, I, I guess my last question, um, looking at newer players that have come in, um, Minnesota signed uh, Jerome Tias on midseason as a, not, I guess it was kind of in the middle of the season. It was kind of an oddball signing that happened out of nowhere. Um, and he's taken over it right back. Obviously, we already talked about the defending at the early part of the season. It was a, a necessary thing to find guys that can step in. Um, what is he bringing to the table? Is it just that he's got, you know, a little more experience, a little more soccer IQ, or is he adding uh, something more than that to the, to Minnesota? Yeah, well, he does have a really good soccer IQ. Now, now you bring it up, but he's, um, he definitely brings a lot to the team. He's, he's a really good distributor of the ball. And I feel like Adrian Heath really, um, stresses that in his outside backs because he, he, he counts on them to overlap and uh, and move forward. And I think that uh, Thiessen, he's, he's very capable defensively and just as strong going forward. So um, definitely one of the players I think that this team is looking to build around when you think about what their defense will be like next year. And, um, you know, yeah, he's he's just one of those players where if you if you kind of didn't know who he was, I mean, I, I'll admit I didn't. I don't, I don't follow the Swiss League. You'd mm-hmm. kind of be like, you know, what is what is the team seeing this guy? But he's definitely been like one of those heart and soul players on the team, and um, he's like really super um, like visible in the Minnesota in the community in the Twin Cities, and he's gone to um, some of the lower league soccer games, and um, he's really really done a really good job of mixing it up in the culture. And I, I think he's definitely the type of player that's going to be in Minnesota for a long time to come. Here in D.C., we've been uh, going through a stadium saga for many, many years now. Um, and and now Audi Field is finally under construction on Buzzard Point in southwest D.C. Minnesota United also uh, playing in a what amounts to a temporary home, uh, the University of Minnesota's football stadium. How is your stadium search going? Uh, the team obviously uh, released some gorgeous renderings. Uh, of a stadium uh, planned for Midway in St. Paul. I, I'm curious what the status of that is now. Yeah, so within the past couple of weeks, they they like officially broke ground and they have 
I mean, one of those PR things where it's like, oh, there's a camera set up and you can look at them doing construction, but it's... Hey, I mean, don't knock really the see. live webcam. Do not just, knock the I'm, webcam. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not it is knocking awesome. the, the live webcam. I'm saying, like, maybe if it wasn't pointed at, like, a liquor store across the street, it might be beneficial. So, I mean, it's good people watching. I mean, is it a good that. liquor store? I've, I've never been there. I, I can't speak <laughs> to it. But I see people tweeting about stuff going on there every once in a while. But, yeah, they've, they've broken ground and... I think that they want to be in that stadium, you know, in 2019, start of the season, what they'll sh- they'll be shooting for, and um, they're they're doing an f- official press release tomorrow morning on what it's going to be named. But I don't know if you guys saw it; it already leaked. So it's like Allianz that that uh, that company is going to be sponsoring it, and all yeah, like you said, all the renderings look really nice. So hopefully everything will work out uh, with that. And I definitely feel your pain at playing at RFK because I've, I've been to a couple baseball games there a long time ago and it's uh the field's definitely pretty interesting there yeah I I love the the crap out of RFK Stadium and it at the same time um I'm eager to be rid of it it's a uh, it's real interesting mixed emotions happening inside me because I I love that building so much and it is so done at the same yeah. time I mean, it's it's been standing for so long, and I, there's there's nothing really like it anymore. It'll definitely yeah. be so. Yeah, see it go. All the that wave of cookie cutter stadiums that were multi purpose and and just you know basically concrete donuts dropped from the sky into mm-hmm. whatever city. RFK wasn't just a part of that wave. It was the original one. It was the first one, and all the other ones have gone by the wayside. And this is the last one standing. So my, it's uh, like my fav- my beloved. Uh, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati was a similar donut. Yeah, and uh, the second Bush Stadium in St. Louis, um, Veteran Stadium in Philadelphia, they were they were really everywhere. And RFK is the the last one of them, and it was also the first one of them. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's historic in its own way, and it it's it's time. It's time. Last question for you before we let you go: sure. If you were standing in the technical area opposite Adrian Heath this weekend, how would you be game planning against Minnesota United? Oh, that, that's a good question. Um, Thanks. <laughs> I think <laughs> you have to kind of focus in on, on a few key players. Um, you got to be marking Christian Ramirez really tight. Um, if the service getting to him isn't good, uh, he gets pretty frustrated and, it, and it's tough for him to score. It's, I mean, kind of an obvious statement, but um, and, and making sure that Kevin Molino doesn't get space to operate in. And then moving forward on the attack, um, it'll be interesting to see who Minnesota rolls out on their back line. But um, over the last few games, their marking has just been really, really bad. Like they'll someone will be, will be taking the ball and dribbling it, you know, like kind of far out, but not too far where they can't score from there. And some of the, the center backs don't seem too interested in covering long shots. So the past few games have just been, killed by a well-placed long shot so um you know attacking the back line is it will definitely be important trying to hit your overlapping runs and um, trying to get in behind the center backs was, would be what i would do try to try to attack that way well we'll see if dc united can pull off that game plan or any other this weekend uh until then alex uh why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on the old internet yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Gormley, G-O-R-M-L-E-Y underscore A. And uh, if you're interested in reading my stuff, it's on epluribuslunum.com. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, 
at Black and Red U for the website. Plus, we all have our own personal Twitter accounts that are pretty easily to to come across as well. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, and the podcatcher of your choice. Find us wherever you find quality podcasts or not quality podcasts for that matter. Mostly, please tell a friend about the show and about the Patreon if you so choose. Thank you to all our backers and uh, we encourage you to to check us out patreon.com slash filibuster podcast for jason and ben i'm adam and we'll talk to you real soon say goodbye jason jim vance rest in peace amen <laughs>